0: it's the real estate podcast brought to you by ray white the largest real estate and property group in australasia and welcome to another episode of the real estate podcast we're talking to steve waters from wright property group welcome to the real estate podcast steve yeah thanks for having
1: me it's uh, it's great to be here
0: well it's good to sort of be in a brand new year too 2022 did you have a good break over the christmas new year
1: it was It was something that I've been looking forward to for 12 months, believe it or not, because the last couple of years just seemed like one long day. Yeah, for sure. And we know that COVID has
0: had a huge and in many cases a devastating effect on our lives, which is why we just needed that Christmas New Year break so much. And everything that we thought we knew was turned on its head and upside down when the pandemic struck Australia and the rest of the world. And we know that some of the larger problems associated with the changes we've had to endure. But what are some of the more subtle changes do you think that COVID has produced, which potentially might be with us for a little while to
1: come? Yeah that's a great question. I like other than the the economic pain, health, those obvious things and then the ramifications of credit policy, first home owners grants and all the government stimulus. Some of those not so obvious changes are around the trends that are either going to be sustainable or not and that might be the the movement of populace away from areas to different areas as they wrestle with the employment slash affordability and lifestyle components that COVID has made fully aware to them that probably wasn't beforehand. So I think those trends that we're starting to see now, which is moving populations away from certain centres, are really going to hold their own over the next, let's call it two to five years. But conversely, I also think there's been some short-term trends because of COVID that have had their time in the sun and I would suggest that over the next few years may revert back to an element of normality. So it's certainly going to be interesting over the next couple of years.
0: You know, the moving population. I don't think anybody would have realised or dreamed of just how much movement across borders was going to happen in Australia. Do you think that's fair yeah. comment with regard
1: to COVID? Yeah, I think it's been it's been amazing. And but there's a, there's somewhat of an element. When you look back in hindsight, it was quite an obvious change that could have happened given the right uh, circumstances, which ended up being COVID. Uh, you look at an area like Queensland or Brisbane in particular, which has always got the highest intrastate migration numbers, but then you throw a COVID scenario in there and you've got populations, say from Melbourne and its surrounds, which have declined because everybody's gone to Queensland. Same with New South Wales or Sydney to the regional areas, even to Tasmania. None of that was made possible. Uh, in terms of longevity, unless employers and big business got their head around the fact that people can be just as productive working from home or in a blended scenario, uh, whatever it looks like to them. Uh, and I can yeah, personally say that prior to COVID, I don't know if I'd have been too happy about everybody working from home, uh, but now fast forward, and I don't think we'll be going back to the office in any way, shape or form in a full-time capacity. So... I'm one, but I'm embracing it. So is the team.
0: Yeah, so COVID has really sort of turned the light switch on for lifestyle. I mean, that's the key, isn't it? So you work from home, you create your own lifestyle from where you're living. And as you say, moving population, a lot of people going to the Gold Coast, for example, the Sunshine Coast, for that very reason.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They're about as good good as examples as you can get. And to be fair, why wouldn't you? You Yeah, Sunshine. You know, perfect one day, better the next, as the, the slogan goes. But, you know, you've got other character or other flaws perhaps within the system as well in terms of can technology keep up with the mass amounts of people that are now putting pressure on, say, internet working from home, uh, or the, the fact that perhaps collaboration will be a little harder, uh, or culture, you know, the water cooler chat. If you're not in the office, that doesn't happen. I mean, technology and Zoom and conference calls only go so far. There's still got to be an element of human touch, connectability, perhaps. But once again, those commutable distances, for me anyways, is where that sweet spot is. If you're too far out, well, the blended lifestyle may not work for the employer and for yourself. And then you could potentially overlay the jobs crisis in terms of there's a real talent shortage throughout the whole of the country. Maybe that's going to be the bargaining chip for the employee saying, well, I'd like to work from home if you want me to work for you. I don't know. Very interesting. It's all crystal ball gazing uh, and very dynamic, but it's uh, it's exciting nonetheless.
0: Yeah. And arguably COVID has seen a continued rise in the property market with little sign of it slowing down. People in many cases have had almost a lotto type of win with record appreciations on their properties. However, with every upside, there inevitably is a downside, which I think a lot of people can't see right now because they're in this bubble, this this illusion that it's just going to continue forever. They're looking through those rose-tinted glasses. <laughs> but do you see any losers as a result over perhaps
1: the next couple of years? Oh, this is really looking into the murky crystal ball. Short answer is yes. I believe there will be some losers, but in terms of what the parameters of how big a loser are they is yet to be seen. An example might be that someone's just had 80% growth in a asset or a property over the last three years, and they're going to give back 30%, which on the surface doesn't sound too attractive, but they've just still had over and above annualized growth in that short period of time, even after they've given some back. I think the real Inflection point will be what have they done with that growth in terms of, well, have they released equity and then gone and purchased, you know, non-productive toys, boats, caravans, cars, trips, whatever it may be, and they've squandered perhaps what was, you know, a very rich and large time for them uh, over a short period of time because of COVID and the ramifications of it. But nonetheless, I think there'll be some there'll be true winners for quite some time yet couple of reasons for that i I believe everybody today and this crisis versus say the gfc are far more educated today thanks to technology thanks to the internet yeah everybody's entrepreneurial to some degree as opposed to what they were 20 years ago so i think that form factor of of education and smarts will hopefully hold people in good stead you know for many decades to come but unfortunately there will be some losers over time as there always is
0: Yeah, and I suppose COVID, because people have been sort of locked up, cooped up for such a long time, I think there is just going to be that percentage of people, you use the word squandered, which is probably the right (laughs) word to use. Yeah, You know, people are going to go out, buy those big toys. Yeah, I guess it's just that whole sort of lifestyle of living because we have been cooped up, we have been refrained from doing anything. And as a result, there's just going to be some money wasted down the sinkhole.
1: Yeah, I I actually refer to that as the revenge spend. People have been cooped up, as you say, and they've their household savings has has exploded. You know, the the war chests that the government have helped build weren't necessarily necessary, if that makes sense. Uh, plus, you overlay the cost of the or all the savings. You know, there's no travel, there's no fuel, there's no tolls, there's you know, none of that. No eating out, so people's you know, consumable savings have increased. And now I think they're just ready to spend Uh, and with a bit of freedom on the east coast of Australia anyway, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if we see some some pretty big inflation numbers over the next quarter because of that very fact that people have just gone out and spent, obviously with a few other overlaying factors as well.
0: And having a look now at buying property a lot of buyers when looking to purchase properties have heard of their friends buying a property that was an off-market purchase yet while some buyers look they might not necessarily believe such a thing exists because it doesn't sort of come across their their path but clearly these are happening so maybe shed some light on the elusive off-market ways that
1: people are buying these properties yeah, it's a good point. And I'd, I'd probably preface it by saying that off-market gets mixed up with pre-market. And there's a very big difference. What most people are referring to when they hear the off-market opportunities is actually pre-market. And and the difference between the two is off-market is when someone was never going to sell their property and it wasn't on the interweb in any way, shape or form, but you as a buyer have convinced them to sell for whatever the reason. Uh, that's off-market. Pre-market, which is what 99% of people are referring to as off-market is when the consumer or the purchaser gets first bite at the cherry before it becomes publicly aware. And is it a great way to purchase property? Do you get the bargain of a century? Sometimes it's a good deal, but in today's market, the question is, as a seller, why would you want to go pre-market? Would you not want the whole world to know that you're for sale in such a hot market? So the, the trick for me is to distinguish what is opportunity versus beat up numbers and you know maybe an overlay of ego because I could potentially be getting a pre-market opportunity. So that it's always buyer beware. but all of it comes down to diligence relationships and just being the squeaky wheel. I mean that's the only way to do it. Uh, I know from our team when we're on the hunt for for properties for clients, we ring, we drop in, we physically see people, we send texts, emails, because we are in constant communication all the time, because we don't want to be forgotten about amongst the pool or the sea, the ocean of other buyers. But once again, there's a big difference between pre-market and off-market, uh, and I'd suggest that pre-market uh, is really where it is, not off-market.
0: And what do you think in terms of privacy? So a vendor is extremely private about taking their property to market. Do you sort of have a, in terms of pre-market, do you have a sort of a percentage that may be in that category of the the private type of seller?
1: Oh, a very small percentage because yeah, money talks at the end of the day. And you know, as a if you are a vendor or a seller, you're going to have to weigh up versus privacy versus you know, potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars more uh, by going public, so to speak. But there are occasions where privacy is at the top of the list for whatever the reason it might be divorce, estate settlement, whatever. But I'd say to be a very small percentage in today's market. And as the market softens potentially over the, the coming years, you'll start to see that that percentage will become larger. Uh, and if I cast my mind back to the GFC, Well, there was a large percentage of pre-market there because, you know, there was a little hurt in the economy and especially around some asset classes. And not everybody wanted the public to know that. So there was a lot of pre-market at that stage, but certainly not today.
0: Steve, great to chat. Thank you for illuminating a couple of those uh, subjects for us. And no doubt we'll speak again. Thanks for coming on to the Real Estate Podcast.
1: Yeah, pleasure as always. Thanks for having me.